Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within panels. I'm your co-host, Albert, and with us is our other co-host. I'm Drew. What's up, everybody? Hey, hey, everyone. So this week, with the release of Black Widow on the Horizon, we thought that we would do a bit of a dive into Black Widow, the character. Who is she? What does she want? Why does she do what she do when she do what she do? (laughs) (laughs) That's essentially what this is all about. Yes, sir. But we're going to talk about the comics first and foremost, since the source material takes precedence, man. We're we're a comic book podcast, so maybe we'll talk about the movie later on, but we got to talk about some Black Widow comics. Yeah, I mean, essentially, this is us using the movies to as a backdoor channel to educate the the folk about comics to see if we can get them hooked on comics. You remember Hooked on Phonics? This is Hooked yeah. on Comics. Totally, hooked man. Hooked on Comics. <laughs> it it rhymes, man. Heck yeah, that's what I'm here for. Now you gotta do a rap verse in your 1920s Chicago gangster persona. I think that's a lot, so I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> <laughs> I can. What? You can't bust can, a freestyle can, on the spot. No, no, sir. I I can try a, a 1980s uh, sitcom style rap. My name is Albert, <laughs> and I'm here to say, <laughs> because that's how they always start. <laughs> that, that's true, man. That's true. All right. So, did you uh, have a few questions to get us going on the topic of? Black Widow. Well, Drew. let me ask you a simple question, Albert. A, a very personal question, so that I everybody would listening to this podcast, everyone and anyone that would ever stand in my way without hesitation. Was that okay. was that not the question? Uh, that that wasn't my question, but <laughs> it's very good to know that. I'll make sure that the next time he needs to cross the street, I'll do my best to get your grandmother out of your way. So you don't murder her? I, I think with me, COVID policies are probably the best policies, even if COVID weren't around, meaning you should probably just stay six feet away from me at all times. Yeah, and wear a mask and don't make eye contact. <laughs> you don't want to get on Albert's bad side. You don't want to enrage the beast. He might hulk out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What was your question, Drew? The personal question I was going to ask you, Albert, is did you ever have an affinity for Black Widow? I can't honestly say that for as long as I have been into comics, Black Widow was not one of those characters that I was drawn to or had any attraction to. Like, maybe... You weren't attracted to her? Oh, you were a, a prepubescent boy, and you weren't attracted to the Black Widow. Is that what well, you're telling me? I'm not saying attract. I'm not talking about physical uh, attraction to her, like physical appearance. I'm talking about like attraction to the concept of Black Widow as a character. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So it's not something that, as a kid, it's not something that captured my imagination, and I was like, oh man. I, I've always wanted to just see a uh, one good Black Widow story, or she's a character that you know I would love to read more about or learn more about. Um, yeah, she was just not that character for me, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, 
I think in recent years, I've definitely become more interested in her. And I, I've seen the the story potential in her as a character, for sure. Um, okay. But, yeah, uh, I think for the longest time, and, cer- yeah, and certainly in my youth, she was not someone that uh, I thought of too much, you know? Right. So what was it in more recent years that made you see the story potential within the character? Uh, I'd have to say it's a combination of what I have seen in the movies. Um, particularly Age of Ultron was, was one of the movies where her characterization in particular, it jumped out at me, you know, the way that Joss Whedon uh portrayed her i guess mm-hmm. you know um so it was her her character arc in that story was something that i guess it it yeah it, it stuck with me you know it, it was emotionally resonant and um was it and, because was it emotionally resonant because she was the only one who was able to calm the hulk and because you have <laughs> a Hulk-like inner rage, you need your own Black <laughs> Widow to bring you back down? I mean, I don't need a Black Widow. I'll take anyone to come bring me back down. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So one of the... You hear so that, just... everybody? <laughs> Albert is easy. <laughs> <laughs> well, just to clarify, so for those uh, listening um, who aren't uh, immediately familiar with what Age of Ultron uh, what, what the character arcs uh, in Age of Ultron was about, or or what they were trying to convey. Um, I think at the time, someone put it put it in a way that essentially said that um, all of the characters in, or not all, but most of the characters in Age of Ultron, most of the the superheroes in, on the Avengers, were essentially some sort of broken broken characters right so you had the hulk and you know he's he's clearly someone who who wears his demons on his shoulders by like literally turning into a giant monster destructive monster um you have iron man who and i don't remember where he was at this point but i want to say it might have been post iron man 3 yeah or or if not it was after iron man 3 okay if not gone through his ptsd experience and i think he blew up a bunch of his stuff yeah 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 okay but he he still it was still something that like lived with him like it clearly shaped his decision moving forward in fact like his decision to create ultron stemmed Mm -hmm. from that uh desire to protect the world right yeah yeah so um yeah, and in 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 like fashion, Black Widow was kind of the same way as uh, this. She was this damaged person who, on the surface, seemed, you know, she's un, like clearly an attractive like woman, but uh, you know, all the years of training in the Red Room had left her damaged, and to the point where they even revealed that she was. Uh, the that the the training in uh, the red room had left her sterile, you know. So, yeah. it, like, it was really a, a 
a showcase of characters that, you know, for 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 all of their visual uh, representation as these, you know, heroic beings, they they all clearly suffered from some sort of trauma beneath the surface, you know. So mm-hmm. that was, yeah, and it was it was something to see her and the Hulk kind of relying on each other to uh, overcome it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't think prior to that I had really seen anything. And and I'll, I'll admit it's probably, it, it's, it's definitely on my end for not reading that many uh, Black Widow comics. Um, you know, whatever Black Widow comics were around at the time. But yeah, I just can't think of anything in the comics that was on that same level at that time, you know, when I had run when, when yeah. So, yeah, uh so uh that uh her portrayal in a, uh in the movies did change my opinion of her and in addition to that, I would say in recent years she's definitely gotten more attention on in the comic uh from Marvel, you know. So yeah. you've definitely seen uh, her more comics with her in it. So the the introduction of you know better quality comics definitely helps as well. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What about you, Drew? What are your thoughts? Did you was was Black Widow one of your favorites, or or did you have any love for her as a character? I'll be honest. I didn't really seek out her comics very much. I mean, first of all, when we were kids, she didn't really have her own series. Yeah. yeah. If she did have a story dedicated to her, it would be in some, I don't know, like Marvel fanfare or or something, yeah. you know. So I would most of the time when I would see her it would be in in other comics. Like she yeah. she was in the Avengers, you know. So um, looking at, I didn't even read that era of Avengers. Because at the time, those just weren't really good comics uh, in the 90s. Yeah. Especially when I was first getting into comics, uh, you know, in the very early 90s. But I do remember uh, probably the thing that... (laughs) The thing that kind of shaped my opinion of the Black Widow for, I don't know, Uh 10 or maybe like 10 years or 10 or 12 years, just growing up as as a kid... The thing that shaped my impressions of the Black Widow as a character were probably the times I saw her in the crossover events like Infinity Gauntlet and especially Infinity War. Mm, mm. Because in in the Infinity Gauntlet comic, she's one of the heroes early on. I think in the first issue, it shows her kind of just swinging through New York City. Yeah. and then Thanos, you know, he does the snap in the comic. And, you know, just like in the movies, it's just crazy crazy chaos uh, ensues from that as all these people fade from existence or, you know, die out. So she's, like, swinging around in the city and all this chaos is happening. And then she, and then I think there's a fire that starts in some building. So she tries to, to rescue the, the people that are trapped in it but the building collapses before she's able to to rescue everybody. And there's just the scene of her. I, I guess remember that, that scene. Yeah, she's kind of amid the rubble and just in shock that 
she failed to save everybody. So I think that was one of the things that it it always stuck out to me. Like that's how I knew who the Black Widow was, probably because of that comic. But the thing that has always stuck with me for a bunch of years was in Infinity War. Because in, in that story, in the comic book Infinity War, there was, well, basically, long story short, the Earth's heroes, like all of the heroes, not just the Avengers, but the Fantastic Four and X-Men and all the different solo heroes, they have to band together in order to fight a cosmic uh, threat. And what ends up happening is early on in the series, everybody is getting summoned to the Fantastic Four's headquarters for a big meeting of all the heroes so they can devise their schemes and, and strategies. But on the way to the meeting, Hawkeye and Spider-Man get attacked by these bad guys and they both get knocked out and they end up in a hospital. So what ends up happening from there is that all of the heroes are gathered together making their plans and stuff but then you got Black Widow and Black Cat. They're not allowed to be at the meeting with all the big boys. <laughs> they, they get sent to the hospital to guard the comatose bodies of Hawkeye and Spider-Man. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that is rough. It's, it's pretty insulting. It's, yeah. I think even at the time, part of me thought, I mean, I'm pretty sure uh, I recognize that there was something a little sexist about that, but it it still made me think, man, Black Cat and Black Widow are so weak that they can't even team up with the other heroes to fight Thanos or whatever, you know? It's like, the best they can do is just go to the hospital and guard these unconscious heroes. Yeah. Oof. That, uh... Yeah, that's uh that's that's rough, man. <laughs> yeah, cuz I already knew a, quite a bit about the Black Cat. I read a lot more Spider-Man comics yeah, yeah. when I was a kid, so she was Same here. I was Yeah, she was definitely someone I was extremely familiar with. And knowing what her power level was, cuz I think there was even a line in the comic where she was like, "We're we're not that powerful, so this is the best way that we can use our skills or something like, you know, a line that was kind of uh to explain to the to the reader what they were doing and why yeah but it it's it's pretty insulting if you think about it you know like that i it, i mean i could understand black widow doing something like that because i mean black black cat doing something like that because she's not really part of the hero community yeah she's kind of like spider-man's Catwoman, right she's uh yeah, even a then thief. she's not even an avenger <laughs> yeah yeah you know? <laughs> yeah but yeah. Black Widow was totally a full-fledged Avenger. I mean, the heroes were going to let Hawkeye be part of the team, so why wouldn't they let Black Widow be part of the yeah. team? Yeah, yeah. Like, in a lot of ways, she could probably beat up Clint Barton, you know? Like, yeah, she's probably yeah, yeah. tougher than him. Yeah. She's, uh, she's a Russian spy. Come on. Like, and augmented at that. I mean, that's something that maybe came a little later, but, you know. Like, yeah. Clint Barton's... Not just, augmented. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he he trained at a carnival or yeah. a circus, I mean. I mean, I guess there's a chance that he could have, like, carny people strength. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, we could probably uh, entertain the bad guys to the point where they get distracted and forget <laughs> they what their submit? mission is. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned your general thoughts on the character now are more positive thanks to the movies. Yeah. But even uh, before the movies came out, did you... I mean, Black Widow is one of those characters that has always been a great supporting cast member in a lot of other comics. So I was just also going to ask you if you had any memories from seeing her in other people's books. Well, yeah. So like you mentioned earlier, um, I there weren't a lot of Black Widow comics around when we were growing up. And if like she was ever around, uh, she was always just part of the Avengers or... Um, and I didn't learn this till much later, but she was actually like Daredevil's partner slash team, you know, lover, lover, yeah, lover slash partner, crime fighting partner at at some point. But those that might have been like a little ahead of my time. So you know, even if I had known about those, like I wouldn't have been able to get my hands on those comics uh, mm-hmm. when I was a kid. Because they had already, if if yeah, they might have come out before I I had even had a chance to read them, you know. Yeah. So um. Yeah, I I. What was your question again? I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I was just asking if you had any general thoughts on her appearances uh, in other comics that you've read. Yeah. Yeah. So. So yeah, so I've just seen her in other things. I I think my first ex- one of my earliest exposures to her might have been on one of the Marvel cards, and I don't. Did she have her own card? She didn't. So that was the thing. So I. Okay, so I I. It's been a long time since I've read those cards, so I might be remembering it wrong. So I think I was reading one of the famous battles. It might have been one of the Avengers famous battles or one of the uh, maybe Champions. even or maybe even the Daredevil, one of the oh, Daredevil yeah. famous battles. Uh-huh. And um, I remember, you know, the the way that the card is set up is it shows a picture of a brief battle between, you know, two arch nemesis nemesis is was it daredevil versus the hand or something i don't think it was daredevil versus the hand but um i just remember reading the synopsis and it mentioned black widow and i remember thinking i don't know who this black widow is like who who's this character and we didn't have the internet back then so i didn't know how to look her up and she, it's not like they gave her her own card so i was just kind of befuddled yeah. by the thought of like who's this person you know yeah i can see that <laughs> i can see that yeah <laughs> So, um, yeah, like now talking to you about it, like I do think even though like uh, Black Widow is kind of a character that's made specifically for the Avengers, I think to some degree, like some of the more interesting stories that I, I could imagine for her really just involve her like on her own. So like so them not making those stories about her and not flushing out her her backstory or her world more was definitely a missed opportunity on on her part on their part at Marvel. Yeah. But I think you could also argue that 
Marvel needed to be in a headspace and uh, a place in time where they were willing to tell those kinds of stories, you know? So, um, you know, we talk about the, the, the 2000s and the Marvel Knights era a lot. And I do think even, I don't remember if they ever gave Black Widow a Marvel Knights comic. They did. They did, right? Okay. But yeah, I was going to say like, she's sort of perfect for, for that format like when they were rolling out all those uh street level characters like she was perfectly situated to 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 gain popularity from from that uh mm-hmm. sort of initiative you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah she had that miniseries from devin grayson and jg jones that was oh. the one that introduced Yelena Belova as well. Uh, it, it wasn't necessarily Belova's first appearance, but but uh, they were the two creators who created Yelena Belova. And I remember those comics. I think Greg Rucka also co-wrote part of the story. Mm-hmm. And Scott Hampton, I believe, drew half of it. But uh, I remember enjoying those it's been a lot of years since I've read them, so the details are not clear to me at all. Mm. I, I wish I uh, had easy access to them. Uh, I mean, I, I guess I could buy them digitally or something, but I didn't really want to spend money on them right now. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't on Hoopla or anything? They weren't on Hoopla. Those Oof. ones weren't on Hoopla, I don't think. Rough. Yeah. But I, I think they're on Comixology, and I believe that Marvel recently did a new trade paperback of those because you know how they did a bunch of anniversary marvel knights trade paperbacks yeah yeah i think that black widow stuff was one of those trades I see yeah yeah it, it could be some of devin grayson's finest work okay but from what i remember it was it was kind of about uh yelena and natasha uh meeting for the first time being at odds because, yeah, I guess unlike uh, unlike what we've seen in the trailers for the movie, mm-hmm. they, were, they were more like rivals or enemies than any kind of sisterly yeah. rivals, you know? I think the way that I remember their backstory was... So, well, okay, so a little bit of uh, uh, context on Black Widow, Natasha Romanov is that she was a spy for the the former USSR, right? Um, the KGB. The KGB. And uh, this was in the era of the Cold War, and she was a spy that defected to the Americans. And, you know, naturally, we made her an Avenger, right? <laughs> Just like any spy that defects. <laughs> Yeah. You immediately deputize one of our most powerful super teams. Yeah. <laughs> Here's your access to the nuclear launch codes. <laughs> yeah. So for the longest time, that was just kind of her status was she was, you know, like the idea of the Avengers was that it was a team that was all inclusive of people from all different walks of life, including, you know, uh, a former oh, Soviet goodness. spy. Right. Yeah. Like, I don't even know if she was a villain. Was she a villain at some she point? She started off as an Iron Man villain, I believe, in her first appearance. 
Okay, okay. Or, yeah, I was yeah, just speaking more broadly in terms of who the Avengers were letting in. Because remember, yeah. they allowed mutant terrorists to join the team. Yeah. And Hawkeye was a was a career criminal. Yeah. Yeah, so they're, they're, they definitely have their fair share of villains on their team. Or former yeah. villains. But I'm looking forward to that Avengers team where you have uh, Thanos and Mephisto <laughs> side by side with Iron Man and Captain America. Oh, interesting. I was going to say, I'm looking forward to the Avengers team that has Charles Manson and Jack the Ripper. <laughs> <laughs> Can even these villains be reformed? <laughs> Momar Gaddafi is on their team. <laughs> introduced Yelena Belova and I don't even remember I feel like I might have read this or or I came across this information somewhere but she was basically someone who was trying to gain the mantle of Black Widow and she was trying to prove herself mm -hmm. by beating the original Black Widow like yeah, that would be the exactly. thing that would solidify her as the official new Black Widow yeah that's exactly what it was because she yeah. She had surpassed Natasha in the Red Room training scores, mm -hmm. the scoreboard in the Red Room. And as the, I guess, the younger version of her, she felt that she was more suited to take on the title of the Black Widow or, or just, you know, prove her superiority to the infamous Natasha Romanoff. Mm. Yeah. One thing about uh, Natasha Black Widow is is that I always thought of her as a great supporting cast member for other books. I mean, especially when I was really getting more into comics again in the early 2000s, and I started mm -hmm. to to reread or not even reread, but I started to read old comics just to educate myself and expose myself to to all the stuff that I missed out on for being too young. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. there was stuff like the Frank Miller Daredevil, which we talked about in our Marvel Top 25 countdown some time ago. But she was a pretty big part of that run, especially towards the end when they were when Daredevil was fighting the hand. And that I heard, you know, reading a lot of comics, I had already learned from something else that she and Matt had been lovers. Yeah. And that, that goes even before the Frank Miller stuff, dude, because I think I think in the 60s or 70s, the Gene Colan run had Daredevil and Natasha move to San Francisco and do their crime fighting yeah. here where yeah. we live. Yeah. That was that it's a big part of their history that's a pretty big blind spot to me as someone who's read I'm not gonna say like a bunch of Daredevil, but I've read, you know, my fair share of Daredevil comics for sure. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, and I think most most Daredevil comics that, or most Daredevil runs that that uh, last for a while do end up bringing Black Widow into the story at some point, at least to have her show up and see what's what, uh, you know, and be continue to be a part of Matt's world because their their relationship was a pretty big one. Yeah. Yeah, 
I, I have a feeling that, you know, longtime Daredevil fans uh, recognize her as one of the, I guess, loves of his life. <laughs> yeah, Daredevil's had a bunch. He has, he has. Um, yeah. The other thing that I really liked seeing her in, and this is a, a slightly more recent, I mean, it's it's still like, I guess, what? 14, 15 years old now, but it, for some reason it, it feels more recent. But all the stuff that Ed Brubaker did in Captain America. Yeah. Yeah. After after Steve Rogers died and Bucky became the new Captain America, the book basically became an ensemble title where it was about the idea of Captain America and this is another thing, another story that we talked about a lot in uh, our Marvel Top 25 countdown. But as in, when it became an ensemble kind of series, it was really about Bucky, Natasha, Sharon Carter, and Sam Wilson. They were they were pretty much driving the story for quite a while, in the, especially in the immediate aftermath of of uh, Steve Rogers' death. But N- Natasha and, and Bucky had a history as well, as uh, Brubaker slowly revealed how the Winter Soldier program had had Bucky uh, occasionally thaw out so he could train the Red Room uh, trainees, including the the girls in the Black Widow program. So he mm. and Natasha actually have history as well. Right, right. And and they had a, a romance. In, yeah. In, in the past, in those flashbacks, as well as in the present, in Brubaker's story. So I thought that was another good thing that that uh, she was in. If you want to read, if anyone listening wants to read some uh, Black Widow comics, where she's not necessarily the main character, but yeah. she's an important character and does a lot of cool stuff and has, uh, you know, just good moments. Definitely check out the Ed Brubaker Captain America run. Yeah, yeah. I I feel like a lot of the material from that run was definitely stuff that we saw lifted and put into the movies to some degree. Um, yeah, Did you kind of like, wish that in the MCU that Bucky and Natasha would have recognized each other and, and had <laughs> some kind of history? Uh, I think that would have been cool, but... They had already established so much of their uh, of their continuity at that point. I I would prefer that they had not bent over backwards to try to you know make a a circular peg squid in a, a fit in a square hole. You know if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean if there was a seamless way to do it, sure. Um, but I'm not. We have the comics, and uh, everything that they've put into the comics, uh, the way that they've um, portrayed and defined their relationship in the comics, like, I'll always have that, so I don't... Yeah. You know, I don't regret anything. Yeah, you're right, you're right. Yeah. Um, I have one question here for you, Drew. Okay. Uh, I mean, if you're done with the the topic of uh, your general thoughts on the Hit me, man, hit me with your question. What are 
what are some essential elements of Black Widow as a character? Like, what do you think are characteristics or elements that just define her for you? First thing that comes to mind is that she's a super spy. Mm. So as a super spy, I think ideally she should carry a great deal of moral ambiguity. Mm. Like she's someone that operates in the shadows and can get her hands dirty and it doesn't really bother her. But I think the popular image of the Black Widow is absolutely not that because yeah, the popular image She's far of more the Black, heroic. Yeah, the popular image of the Black Widow is now absolutely based on the comic. I mean, on the movies. Yeah, and yeah. the the Disney version is an extremely sanitized idea of the Black Widow. I mean, it doesn't really allow for those kind of moral ambiguities. Like you said, she's purely played off as a completely heroic type of character yeah yeah but i think based on the comics i've read and what i appreciate the most about the best of her stories is the idea that she yeah is a darker character she she is a character that has moral ambiguity and will do things that are unsavory if it means that she achieves her goals you know yeah i mean she's her literal name is the black widow you know it's hard to um it's hard to like reconcile that with someone who's utterly heroic Mm -hmm. and especially giving into account uh what her what her past is as a as a spy right like yeah you know, I, I get it. Maybe you can think of James Bond as a spy and look at him as this uh, paragon of uh, virtue or whatever. But like, I think even the, if you read James Bond novels, he's not always completely a paragon. Yeah, yeah, I, but that's the reality of it, right? Is like mm-hmm. the the entire nature of spycraft requires that you be underhanded to some degree. Yeah. Right? Yeah, there's like, a lot of pragmatism involved that yeah. kind of supersedes any idealism sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Like, she's... Natasha is not the kind of character that would shed tears for some of the harsh things that she's done or has to do, right? Like, she she would kill somebody if it meant that she could complete the mission. Yeah. Whereas, when you think about Captain America... Yeah, maybe he'll kill somebody, too, if he really has to. But he's going to feel bad about it later, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he, he might... Like, there, there are Captain America comics where he's done some stuff, and he ends up, uh, you know, there has to be a whole part of the story dedicated to his uh, emotional or mental uh, reconciliation with what he's done. Whereas yeah. with, with a character like... Let's take Wolverine, right? Like he's the guy that is known for for killing his enemies and he doesn't really shed tears over doing that either. Right? Yeah. Like he he'll kill somebody who deserves it and he'll move on with his life. He'll have a beer, smoke a cigar, move on. Yeah. And I think I think Natasha is more like Wolverine in that respect. She's not mm-hmm. the kind of person that would uh 
you know, waffle over things. She's not, um, yeah, she's just not going to shed tears over killing yeah. someone that deserves to be killed. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's that's the perfect way to put it. So, we don't uh, see too much of that in the film version, but I do think, yeah, I I I, I would tend to agree with you. There's a there's a murky aspect to her mm-hmm. her character for sure. Anything yeah. else? Yeah, I I got two more points that I'd want to make, and one of them is the aspect of her gender, and I think how the if you really think about how the the best of her comics stories work, it's it, there's this idea that um, she doesn't really need to prove her equality to stand up with the other male superheroes or anything, you know? Like, she came up through the Soviet military system, so I'm pretty sure she takes her equality as a matter of fact and not something where she needs to prove herself to the men around her. Yeah. And that that's a quality that makes sense because of her background. When you think about World War II or something, um, you know, the the Soviets actually did have female soldiers. Yeah. And the backstory in the comics is that they had the Red Room, which was the training grounds for a whole program of women super agents that would basically carry out the Soviet will. So so with that kind of uh, history, it, it really feels like the stories that do Black Widow justice should not focus on trying to show why she belongs or anything, because she doesn't really need to prove that. She just yeah. is, you know, she already belongs, you know. It's just what like real, how, it's the difference between like, fake confidence and real confidence right mm-hmm. yeah exactly <laughs> you know? exactly because i feel like a lot of female superhero comics they always a lot of them end up doing that thing where it feels like they've got to show to the reader and prove to the reader why she's cool or, or why she works as a character or why she's strong you yeah know? like i felt yeah. like a lot of the like the carol danvers captain marvel stuff kind of yeah. did that where yeah, it's they're trying to prove the, to you, you know, yeah. that this character is just as powerful or courageous or strong as any other male he- hero that you can think of. Yeah, yeah, like in the worst, in the worst examples are usually the ones where someone has to give a speech or someone has to say something, pointing out, you know, hey, I'm this or I'm that. And it's it's unnecessary, right? Like real confidence just is something you see. It's just it just exudes from your character, right? And yeah. we should be able to see it in her actions, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I I uh, I know what you mean, man. I know what you mean. Yeah. In in a way, it, it it's kind of like she's um like how you know how in World War Two. The Soviets had women snipers, and they yeah. they actually did have uh, women. Eventually, they had women who fought like as infantry. Whereas I think the U.S. we we never sent women to the front lines or anything like that. Yeah. But but 
thinking about the the harshness of what the Soviet uh, regime resorted to, you know, and in in Black Widow's fictional history, it does take it feels like it does take some elements of real world history into it, you know. It's yeah, that idea of of how uh, women can be soldiers and and you know they can be trained to to do certain things in a very effective way. Mm-hmm. And the final thing that I think uh, stands out to to me in regards to the character of Natasha, this is something I I uh, came across when I was reading an interview with Richard K. Morgan, who who wrote some of the comics that we'll talk about soon. But he he basically said that she's not like a lot of other female superheroes who are tough on the outside, but on the inside, they're just like any other man's idealized female. Like what he said was, she's not Bridget Jones under her cat suit. <laughs> you know, she, she's not right. lonely. She's not wistful. She's not longing for love. At the end of the day, she doesn't, you know, get a bottle of wine to and talk about why. Yeah. Why? Why the guy in accounting doesn't notice her? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It actually reminds me of a. <laughs> it reminds me of a Saturday Night Live did this sketch with uh with actual Scarlett Johansson, where um, where they did an Avengers movie. Or a Black Widow movie, but they treated it like it was a, a romantic comedy. <laughs> oh, dude, I gotta look that up later. Yeah, I'll send it to you uh, later. <laughs> what about you, man? Are, are there any uh, elements of the character that you consider essential to the core of her being? Um. So I mentioned. Um. I mentioned earlier that one of the things I liked about her from the movie was that she was, uh, I guess, this more broken character. I, I think that's one aspect of her that uh, that does appeal to me is the idea of um, her being this soldier, this super soldier who's who's given everything uh, to to just be what she is, right? So. Um, I am pretty drawn to the idea of, and and this might be antithetical to what you just said, but I'm pretty drawn to the idea of uh, her being, or I guess I I guess her having to reconcile, um, you know, her pragmatism with with some of her, uh, uh, I guess, emotional or even moral beliefs, you know? Mm-hmm. So so it's uh, the idea that at the end of the day, she's going to do what she needs to do, but, you know, at what cost, you know? And what yeah. does that do to her, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so, like, I don't, I don't know if my ideal version of Black Widow is necessarily this cold-blooded killer, uh, mm-hmm. Or someone who's capable of being a traitor. Although uh, some of my most memorable Black Widow moments, or one <laughs> one of my most memorable Black Widow moments, doesn't it does. Uh, I'm not gonna tell she which is a one traitor. because I don't want to spoil it. Okay. But yeah, it 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 reveals that she is actually straight up a traitor. <laughs> you know. 
Um, yeah, we'll we'll probably get to that one. <laughs> we'll talk yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, we'll we'll give you guys the spoiler warning in case you want to read it for yourself. So <laughs> or yeah. something. I don't know. We'll we'll figure something out. Um. So there's that. I I mean I do like that internal turmoil stuff. May and maybe that's my inner Chris Claremont uh lover coming out even though i don't love him at all <laughs> Inner, not lover. you know the 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 part of me that still that that um that grew up reading chris claremont comics and uh uh internalized his his philosophy on storytelling <laughs> he impacted you man yeah no matter how much i want to get away from it i i, I want to have a little bit of my conflicted superheroes and supervillains. <laughs> um Let's see. Uh, you want to just dive right into the comics? Yeah, I mean, I I think I think with me, Black Widow is uh, is a far simpler character. So I don't really I I don't really feel like I I need to have her be too many specific things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. So I, I guess that's the one the one thing that I would look for in a in my ideal Black Widow story. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Let's uh let's jump into it then. You ready? Yeah, man. So the the first thing that I want to highlight, it's probably it's definitely my favorite Black Widow story. But I mentioned uh, Richard K. Morgan, who is a writer. He's actually a novelist. He writes a lot of uh science fiction slash noirish kind of stories. Like if you guys have ever heard of Altered Carbon, which was a TV series, uh, that's based on one of his novels. And I would I would definitely recommend Altered Carbon. It's, it's this great cyberpunk story. But uh, in the early two, 2000s, I think 2004 actually, this was, I don't know, a few years after his... Uh, his Altered Carbon novel came out, but Marvel actually got him to to write some comics and he ended up writing 12 issues of Black Widow. Mm. They came out as two separate six-issue miniseries, but they were obviously continuations. Mm. The the first one is called Homecoming. Um, If you want to look it up on your Comixology or Marvel Unlimited or whatever, but it's Richard K. Morgan... Uh, written by Richard K. Morgan and art by the great Bill Sinkevich or Sin- Bill Sinkevich mm. and Garan Parlov, who did the layouts. Uh, and the second miniseries was also written by Richard K. Morgan and Sinkevich uh, and Sean Phillips did the art for that one. But yeah, that the second miniseries is called The Things They Say About Her. Uh, to me, I just, just for simplicity's sake, I'll just call it the Richard K. Morgan Black Widow, because I, I consider it one whole run. Mm. Uh, this this run, like definitely the thing that stands out about it is how it embodies all the things that I mentioned earlier in terms of what I think are essential to the character of Natasha Romanoff. Like mm. she's definitely portrayed as someone with a great deal of moral ambiguity she's not like 
any other female superhero. Like if you read this, it it's not even really gonna feel like a superhero comic in a lot of ways. It's it's still clearly set in the Marvel universe, but a lot of the typical superheroic trappings are stripped away. Mm. Like first of all, when you just look at the the art, like Bill Sinkevich has this very specific style, you know, like you just recognize his inks on anything where it immediately, uh, you know, identifies that he's the guy who who did the art. And, yeah. um, you know, there's a, there's a grittiness to it. There's a lot of uh, mood and emotion in the the way that he just depicts moments. The the story does a lot to help new readers understand who Natasha is, but for longtime readers or people who are already familiar with her, it, it definitely will will give you a picture of her in terms of someone who is totally different from other female heroes yeah and deals with a lot of moral ambiguity and is almost like uh it's a very i guess in a way i would say a savage version of black widow Mm. yeah i um so you you've been recommending this series to me for years and i've never actually read it so it's it was definitely something that I had been that had been on my list for the longest time to read. So, you know, this was kind of the perfect opportunity for me to dive into it. And this is really a fresh, um, just a fresh and uh, it was like a very new comic to me, uh, having read it for the first time, you know, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, I, I I totally agree with you. Like my, my first impression of it was it's a very uh, like I don't know how else to put it, but it almost feels like it's very adult in the sense that although it's a comic book, it's not it doesn't feel like it has like you said, it has the trappings of traditional comics. Right. You don't have your your villains aren't uh, your stereotypical costumed madmen uh who are with a uh, mustachioed madmen who who wring their hands while they <laughs> like you know uh make long uh monologues about what their plans are it's it's um i, I don't know if i want to spoil it too much but like it's it's very complex uh the 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 way that the um i want to say villainy <laughs> plays out yeah uh, but yeah. uh like Villainy just makes it sound cartoony, right? Because, the, like, the thing, the antagonists in their world, uh, they feel more real, you know? Like, their motives are, in short, it's just money, you know? And mm-hmm. and they're they're kind of faceless. They're, they're faceless institutionalists and bureaucrats, which is kind of what evil really looks like in the real world. You know, yeah, like yeah, like uh, I guess you could argue it's a form of evil. Um, you know, because the the mugger on the street that that's gonna hurt someone still exists, obviously, right? But mm-hmm. um, 
there's a there's a different there's definitely this different layer or level of evil that is just kind of nameless and faceless and um we we talked about this a little bit in the other podcast where uh we talked about like what smart evil and stupid evil looks like right and this is i guess an example of smart evil where it's just a powerful uh, an evil so powerful and so far above like the average person that we don't even know or see it but and yet it still dictates all of the various elements in our in our lives you know mhm so um yeah it's a very like mature uh earnest take on 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 black widow um it you might hate me for saying this drew but like it it felt like like the closest comparison that i could think of was something like jason bourne right it felt more like more something more like that than it did yeah i do hate you Um, like it's it's it was the only thing I could compare it to. <laughs> like even James Bond, like if we consider like the Roger Moore or uh, Pierce Brosnan James Bonds by comparison, even those seem a little more cartoony in comparison, you know. Um, but it, I guess it just tries to be a very like serious spy story, you know. Um, yeah. There's even this one moment in in the comic that jumps out at me where um someone was talking to her about how like didn't she used to have like didn't you used to have these wrist blasters Mm -hmm. and uh you know and natasha goes into how like ineffective they were uh as as tools in her trade and she just decided and her response was one day i just decided to take them off and I just left them off, you know? Yeah, uh, and the cool thing about that scene was the way that Sinkovich drew the art where, in a symbolic way, those wrist bracelets she had were like uh, handcuffs, you know? Like, they yeah. were, she was chained to them, and one day she took them off, and it was like breaking free of her bonds. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was a pretty clever storytelling yeah. trick. And even... And I was gonna say even um, about Bill Sinkovich's art, like he's he's a long time comics, uh, you know, he's been in comics for a long time, and he's definitely done a whole bunch of stuff. And his his style is very like idiosyncratic. I think mm-hmm. that's the right word, right? Yeah, but, that's the right word. Yeah, it's idiosyncratic, and, and it's recognizable to himself. But in addition to that, I would say that there's almost an avant garde quality to it. Like I don't know if you agree with me like yeah compared to other jobber yeah. comics other yeah. superhero comics it's totally avant-garde compared to yeah. your ivan race or i don't know tom who... rainey <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> but but the thing i was gonna say was like when bill sigvich is like allowed to just have free range uh there are like some other comics where he just goes wild with it and it is like that is truly like just avant-garde stuff you know just it's it's incoherent in a good way where it just makes you look at it and puzzle over what it is that you're looking at it it makes you contem- contemplative in trying to understand 
what it is that you're looking at, but it's gorgeous at the same time, you know? Yeah. And I yeah. think with the Black Widow comics that he did, what reigns in that element of his signature style is the fact that he was working off other people's layouts. Mm-hmm. So that definitely makes the storytelling extremely clear. I mean, Goran Parlov and Sean Phillips are really excellent storytellers, especially when it comes to to stories that have a lot of um, density, you know, like dense stories. They're, they're really good at, at presenting easy and legible, yeah. easy to read and legible stories when there's a lot going on. Uh, I'm not, yeah, I'm not yeah, even yeah. just talking about words, but I'm just talking about the layers of things that are going on from, from the actions that are depicted on the surface to the emotional uh, elements of the, of the story, you know, like all of that comes into play in their layouts and storytelling, even the, uh, the colors by Dan Brown do a really good job of highlighting the mood of, of all the scenes. There's actually Mm. this one scene from the first issue. I'm just going to describe it because it's a great moment. And I remember the first time I read it, I read this when it was originally serialized back in 2004. And even at the time, it was something that blew me away. It was like, at that moment, I was like, yeah, when this comes out in a trade, I got to get the trade just so I can, you know, have a, a more permanent version of this in my possession. But there's the scene in, in the very first issue before everything uh, really starts up. But Natasha and one of her her former S.H.I.E.L.D. agent friends, they're on a, they're on a drive uh, to go to another state for something. And they stop at a gas station. While they're at the gas station, they see these two truckers come out of their truck, you know, also picking up uh, gas or supplies or whatever. But there's also this um, teenage runaway girl that is with them, and they're obviously giving her a hard time. And what's implied is that they're going to, against her will, they're going to force her to to go with them, and you know they're going to do stuff to her. But Natasha and her, her buddy, they see this, and her buddy's like, we can't get involved. We've got to keep a low profile right now. Otherwise, this whole thing could... Our whole mission could could uh, could just get blown blown up if if we uh, draw attention from the authorities if you do something. But she's like, that doesn't really matter, you know. Like she's gonna she's not gonna she's not gonna just stand by when she sees evil happen, you know. Mm-hmm. So she actually confronts those two men, and what she says to them is. If you don't let that girl go, neither of you are going to be able to walk ever again. So they attack her, and one of them pulls out a knife. She she manages to turn the dude's knife uh, against him. She kills the dude with the knife and then knocks out the other guy. And it the way it happens, it's it's like in the blink of a second because she walks out of the gas station holding a coffee, and she does all that. Well, she, before her coffee even hits the floor, you know, like she drops her coffee, catches the guy's knife, kills the dude and knocks out the other guy. Yeah. And, her, and then you just see her coffee land on the, on the ground. Yeah. And she, she helps the girl. And, and as they're about to, to head out and leave the gas station, uh, she's, she pauses by the one dude that she knocked out 
she's just out cold lying on the ground and her friend is like what are you doing we we got to get going we don't have time for this and she says something like uh i keep my promises and she looks for a spot on his spine and breaks it yeah that was pretty uh badass <laughs> yeah yeah totally that i feel like that's not something captain america would have done you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> The dude was already unconscious, and she just straight up breaks his back, so he'll yeah. never walk again, <laughs> because she promised that he would never yeah. walk again. She had to keep her word. Yeah, that yeah. that's the kind of thing that you just don't expect to see in a superhero comic, but if you read stuff like one of the, the books that I was really into, and I'm it's still one of my favorite books. But there was a comic called Sleeper by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. This is kind of similar in tone to Sleeper. It, it's this one, this Black Widow, it doesn't have, you know, sex or F words or, or anything like that. It's not completely R-rated. But just in terms of like how seriously the subject matter is treated, it's definitely got more weight and grittiness to it than any other Black Widow comic you'll find. It it yeah. really feels like a a true espionage crime thriller kind of book, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I hear you, man. It's um definitely worthy of Jason Bourne. <laughs> <laughs> Albert, if you say that one more time, <laughs> you're never gonna walk again. Uh, man. <laughs> Just so it's clear, I hate Jason Bourne too. <laughs> I think it's lame. <laughs> I watched that first movie and I was just like, this is boring. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you on that. Yeah, yeah, so for all of you guys who are listening, if you're interested in the best Black Widow story, I would say look up the Richard K. Morgan miniseries. The only thing that could possibly be disappointing is that he did have a third miniseries planned, but due to low sales, it never came to fruition. Oof. Yeah. It, that's, that's, you know, another reason why I don't have respect for the masses of fanboys who generally yeah. buy comics. Yeah. Because they just have really poor taste, and they would rather have the over-sexualized, vapid black widow yeah. and something like would, this yeah they'd rather have a j scott campbell black widow or something yeah exactly <laughs> did they did he um did, did he have like story elements that he had seeded for that third one or were these all just yeah. self-contained yeah okay he had story elements like if if you read the second part of it albert yeah the way it ends like it it's still has an ending like it doesn't end on a on a cliffhanger, cliffhanger. yeah Not, well i mean i guess there's a, a kind of a cliffhanger but it's more like there are plenty of loose threads that mm. still could be tied up you know it's kind of like the the empire strikes back where yeah. yeah you could watch that as its own movie it's it's got a satisfying conclusion but clearly it points to one more thing happening you know like it's kind of yeah. like that three-act structure where the the second part ends on a downer and then you got to have that third part where everything 
gets uh, concluded in a, if not a happy manner, then at least in a way where everything has a, has a finality. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know if this is. I don't know. If, I don't think this is a spoiler that will ruin your enjoyment of the second part of the of his stories. But yeah, the second volume, like it, it's it it is weird because I as I reread it, um, I I remembered that the ending it it ends with Nick Fury in a prison in Guantanamo Bay, and Black Widow and Matt Matt Murdock are both on like the FBI's top ten most wanted. You know. <laughs> like that's like the last page of the comic maybe the second to last page <laughs> well i mean clearly things got better right yeah the end <laughs> but but to be honest even yeah. even with the fact that he wasn't able to do the third part i honestly think that if you just read these 12 issues you'll still feel pretty satisfied like th- that first those first six issues that's a pretty complete story in and of itself. Yeah. I mean, there there are definitely cer- certain loose threads that do get followed up on in the second part. Yeah, yeah. But even if you just read the first six, you'd feel pretty complete. Hmm. Yeah, okay. it's just the, the perfect Black Widow comic, man. It, it, it has those things where she's got her iconic moments and different lines and scenes just really show why she's an outstanding character. Like it, it's the comic that made me a real black widow fan. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I'll, I'll have to say that for this, uh, podcast for this episode, I actually, I mean, I've, I've read some black widow here and there, but I, I did go out of my way to like seek out more and um you know try to educate myself before i entered the the topic or the discussion mm-hmm. and of what i've read i'd have to say that uh the richard k morgan black widow is is definitely the most substantive one of the lot you know yeah yeah so i yeah i i could i can see what your general what definitely what your appeal is mm-hmm mm-hmm what are some of the other Black Widow comics that you'd want to highlight? Um, I'm not going to say... Th- okay, <laughs> I'm not going to say highlight because that might mean that I'm making an endorsement of some of these. <laughs> but... <laughs> which, I'm, which I'm not. I mean, like, I, I read some Black Widow comics... Uh, like I said, for, for this discussion, just to prepare myself and, um, I, I'll discuss what I read. Um, so, uh, this one in particular isn't necessarily one that I would, um, recommend, recommend, but there, there, there were some, um, absurd, funny moments in it, I guess. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. so this was, Black Widow Deadly Origin by Paul Carn- Paul Cornell, who generally like he's kind of hit or miss for me. So um, there's that. Uh, pencils are by Tom Rainey. He's definitely miss for me. Yeah, I'm not a <laughs> yeah. fan of his stuff. Yeah, but 
the thing that's weird is the flashback art in this series was done by John Paulion, and that guy is amazing. Yeah. And it's yeah. just like, I don't understand why you would pair him with someone like Tom Rainey, who's just, who's just got this really generic art style. Um, it's like a really, I don't know how else to describe it, but like just kind of a grosser looking Mike McCone. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like they kind of definitely have not sim- as good as Mike McCone. Yeah. They have like similar proportions, I think, but just the way that he outlines them and he draws their faces, just, they're just way uglier. Um, yeah. Uh, inks are by Scott Hanna colors by Matt Mila. Um, yeah. And this was another story that tries to, uh, go back in, in black widows past and I guess tries to flush out her, her backstory a little more. And it starts with her finding out that I guess she has like some sort of trigger called ice pick. And what it, what it does is like, it basically uh, some enemy agent set this trigger off and makes it so that uh, all the people that she's come in contact with are affected by these nanites that have been in her body uh, over years. And yeah, and we all know how much I hate nanites just as a a story device. So this, um, yeah, this story did not do much to help me. uh, It did not do much to ingratiate itself to me for sure yeah but i'm just gonna ruin it because it's not a very good comic but yeah go ahead so the the revelation of the comic is that black widow over the course of her life um over all those years when she defected to the united states she had a handler uh who who defected with her someone who she looked to as a father figure but Really, this dude was just kind of a pervy old dude who was secretly, well, not, no, not so secretly in love with her, let's say. And <laughs> because Natasha rejected him, uh, the, the story jumps back and forth in time, and you see Black Widow with all of the men, all the various men that she's been with over the course of her life, and you just see this guy watching her be with these men and just feeling slighted by the fact that she won't be with him so he's like an incel kinda kinda (laughs) so the thing is yeah over the course of the story she like you see her in relationships with like daredevil and like i just learned that oh uh, she was in a relationship with daredevil and she was in a relationship with uh the winter soldier and then i just learned this from this series but at one point she was in a relationship with hercules you know, <laughs> which blew my mind. I was like, when did that happen? Hey, they were on the champions together, man. They were on the champions together, so I guess I guess that happened. <laughs> but but the thing is, so this guy has watched her be with all these other dudes, and then there's this one scene where he makes a move on 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 her. You know, he tries to like he straights up straight up tries to mack on her. He just gets close and tries to like lay lay it on her and she's just like no you know I, you're you know 
I, I forget what her exact words were, but it was something to the effect of like your I, I just see you as a mentor or my friend or something like that, right? Yeah. And you know, that's that's the end of the flashback, but clearly it sets him off because his whole plan after that is to slowly infect her with these nanites so that she infects all the other people like STDs? in her life. Yeah. And that's where that one panel that I sent you that I sent you the other day was from where <laughs> Black Widow was really mad because she was like, he infected with me, me, he infected me with nanites and turned me into my namesake and made me an actual <laughs> Black Widow. He made me a sexual predator. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's like so ridiculous. It's almost funny. That, that it is in funny. Itself, it's not almost funny. It is funny. It is funny, right? And so I'm that in right itself now. made me... <laughs> I guess that was the one thing I appreciated about this uh deadly origin was just how ridiculous that was yeah (laughs) um yeah so that's that's deadly origin for you (laughs) yeah maybe i'll have to pick it up just so i can laugh at it (laughs) yeah yeah i feel like i I thought i read that in the past but maybe i didn't because that's not familiar to me (laughs) i don't remember that it's 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 so like what when I, when I got to that, like, revelation, I was just like, wait a minute, is is this really what this guy is, like, about? <laughs> <laughs> is, there, is this really how they're, like, um, expressing uh, his, <laughs> his resentment towards her? <laughs> oh, man. Comics, yeah. everybody. Comics, I know, right? <laughs> Um. It. Th- yeah. So this was definitely like the complete opposite of Richard J. Morgan's <laughs> Black Widow. <laughs> Actually, just... uh, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, um, since you brought brought up Richard K. Morgan again, um, and we were talking about Deadly Origin, I was also gonna. I didn't mention it when we were just talking about the Morgan stuff, but I do find it interesting how Morgan integrated different elements of her backstory or her origin story into who she is as a character in the present day. Mm-hmm. Like one of the things that I thought was pretty interesting was how all the stuff uh, that we had heard about Black Widow to begin with, right? And I think it's an ev- it's even in a scene in Age of Ultron in the movie where you see her as a l- young girl training to be a ballerina, But what we learn in the Morgan comic is that those were just implanted memories, you know, to because what little Russian girl growing up in during the Cold War didn't dream of being a ballerina or a gymnast or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. And and she learned that that was just a fake memory so that they could condition her to to want to have you know a goal to to train for. Yeah. Actually, another thing that the Morgan series did was it that was the one where uh, we also learned that all the women in the Black Widow program were sterilized. Yeah. And yeah. you were saying earlier how in Age of Ultron, uh, she learned the same thing or uh, the viewers learned the same thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I thought it was interesting how in the comic, see, that, that this is another difference where the movie version of it is very sanitized like yeah 
if you watch that movie and and look at that scene, from what I remember, it kind of feels like she's just sad because she she can't have kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you read the Richard K. Morgan comic, she's she's pissed. <laughs> yeah, she's pissed, and she's not pissed because she can't have kids. She's pissed because that someone took that her. choice away from her. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. like. In all honesty, she probably wouldn't even want to have kids, but she want that that should be her choice, you know? And yeah. and that's why she's pissed. So the like the tone of how that is portrayed is completely on a different level, and I, yeah. I think it works a lot better in the comic. Yeah, that's interesting that you brought that up, man. That's a really good point. I hadn't uh I hadn't made that comparison, but you bringing it up, that's yeah, that that's adds way more layers, you know. Mm-hmm. Gives you yeah. something to think about for sure. Yeah. Were Do there have... any other other comics that that you read uh, that you wanted to talk about? Um, one of the ones that I did want to mention was uh, Mark Wade's Black Widow run. Uh, oh yeah, Mark by Wade and Chris, Chris Samney. Yeah, that's another really good one. I think it's probably more in line with a with the uh, disney version yeah i guess it's more in line with the disney version i was gonna say it's more in line with like the pierce brosnan or the uh roger moore kind of james bond where it's it's more high octane high action um maybe not quite as goofy as as those but where do uh where do timothy dalton sean connery and daniel craig fall on that spectrum Oof. I guess one could argue that Daniel Craig would be the closest thing to the Richard K. Morgan James Bonds because they did try. I mean, they they went into those James Bonds trying to uh, get closer to the source material in the mm-hmm. sense that they wanted James Bond to be more of a, ambiguous. Yeah, exactly. And just a, a an all around darker character. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, thinking back to the Sean Connerys, I guess Sean Connery was still... I don't think he was quite as goofy as, you know, as any of the Roger Moores or the Pierce Brosnans, but he was... He's probably somewhere in between those James Bonds and... Uh, Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig, yeah. So he was yeah. probably more... More on the suave end and more on the serious and mm-hmm. like, cause his whole thing was, was that he had this charisma and charm and just masculine energy. He like just exuded that masculine energy, right? Maybe so that too was... much masculine energy. <laughs> he he could grow a beard in the span of an <laughs> afternoon. But, um, yeah, like, but it wasn't just outright goofy, you know, like it wasn't like Moonraker or Octopussy or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what about Timothy Dalton, man? No love for him. Uh, what about that other James Bond? The one that only did one movie. La- Wait, how Lasby. many did Timothy Dalton Jonathan do? Lasby. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think Dalton did at least two. Okay. Yeah. I got Maybe confused. three. He might have done three. I think one of like the one that I remember from him was I think he did License to Kill. Was was that the one in San Francisco? 
No, that's Roger Moore. And oh, that's okay. uh that might have been Moonraker. Did you ever do you remember that one at all? Like I, I feel you you've opened this up for me, so I feel like I gotta talk about this that <laughs> that movie in particular. You do you know what the story for the one that took place in San Francisco was? I can't really remember it, man. I, I watched so many of these as a kid growing up that yeah. they they really all kind of blend together and I haven't watched a James Bond flick in probably at least a decade. Okay. So I don't remember what the uh uh the overall plan of the villain was in that movie but here's what i do remember the villain was a young christopher walken okay so there's that that's already pretty cool and he was he played like an albino like an evil albino right (laughs) okay and here's the thing it turns out that he was a nazi clone like, I don't know if he was specifically a clone of Hitler, but he was like a Nazi super clone. That was his whole thing. He was he was he was a Nazi super clone that was hidden away and like birthed in a test tube and like, you know, formed into a, a, a full grown man. So he was like, you know, freakishly strong. Aryan albino. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's like really, really white power. Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but anyway we were talking about mark wade and chris samley's black widow yeah so there's I, i'd say his is more of a more of an action flick but um chris samley's art is just like gorgeous in it and i don't remember if he drew all of it i want to say that he did, he did. All yeah all issues yeah so it's it's just a pretty fun run uh, in and of itself. I can't remember if there was anything specifically that was lifted for the movies or anything like that, or that might be lifted for this upcoming Black Widow. Like, I, well, it's hard for what? me to say. There is this one scene, I think the very first issue of the Wade Samney run, there's a, yeah. there's a scene where Black Widow is escaping from the shield helicarrier and she just straight up jumps out of the helicarrier in the sky and mm-hmm. she's being chased by other agents and she's just plummeting uh navigating you know people that are chasing her through the air yeah yeah and there's a scene in the black widow trailer for the movie where you see i don't know what she's jumping out of but she's jumping out of something and there's a bunch of rubble in the sky. Maybe like some kind of ship has exploded and she's jumping through all this rubble, uh, navigating the rubble and Taskmaster is chasing her through it. There's something about that scene in the trailer that made me think of the scene from the Mark Wade and Samney run. Really? And the thing, yeah, the thing that, that really did it for me was because in the comic, there's a line from one of the characters and the thing about Chris Samney too, is that he's an amazing artist. If if you guys haven't read the comic, you, you gotta just pick it up if only for his art, Mm. but it's, it's just really gorgeously illustrated, not only from a graphic standpoint, but from a storytelling standpoint as well. But there's a line from one of the agents who's chasing her. uh, She's falling through the air and he says something like, I can't believe her, man. She she makes 
a 40,000 foot fall look like a ballet or, mm. you know, something to that effect where it's just I like, just read that line. <laughs> yeah. 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 There's, there's like a sense of grace to everything that she does. Yeah. And I guess that's what I thought the movie trailer captured in that scene where they're falling through the sky. Even though, you know, I'm sure the context is completely different, but I, I yeah, do yeah, think yeah. it's cool that something like that is in the movie. I don't even know if the writer or the director of the movie read the Mark Wade and Sammy story, or if they even had that scene in mind when, when they made their scene. Mm-hmm. But as a, as a Black Widow fan, I think a scene like that in the movie is definitely something that I'd want to see. You know, like it, it's good that they did something like that where you can see that she is way more graceful than a normal person yeah even when she's just falling through the sky yeah yeah i hear you man i hear you yeah yeah it does feel like the tone of the wade and sammy series will be more in line with what a movie would probably show us because it that that series that comic book series wasn't too heavy in terms of violence like it, it had a lot of great action and there was a lot of stuff uh about Natasha's history that was coming back to to haunt her, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it, it never got it never got heavy, you know. Like it it always felt like a really fast paced, light experience where you could just kind of read it multiple times uh, and appreciate the briskness of the storytelling. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm looking at this again right now, and I'm just kind of flipping through it on uh, Hoopla and. I want to say I I could be wrong, but I think in short I th- I believe that the story behind it was about someone starting up the red room again, mm-hmm. and just Natasha trying to figure out who's behind it and trying to save these kids from becoming the next generation of uh, Black Widow spies. You know? Yeah. 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 Yeah, that, that's a good series, man. I would definitely recommend reading that to anyone who's interested in Black Widow. Mm, 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 for sure. Did you read anything else uh, for for the Black Widow discussion? There were some things that I reread. Uh, one of them is actually a Daredevil story. Um, and so it's not necessarily... It's not a solo Black Widow tale. But uh, during the Bendis and Malieve run... She did have a story arc. It's uh, issues 61 to 64, and the story arc is called The Widow. That story, um, I did reread parts of it uh, just for the podcast, but I, I remember even at the time liking it a lot. And it's about how Natasha, because of the stuff that she's done, uh, basically ends up as a pawn in a game of political chess where this foreign power um, in in exchange for something with with uh, an American politician, I guess maybe even, I forget if it was the president or not, but basically there was a deal made where this foreign power uh, was going to give America something, but in exchange they wanted the Black Widow, they wanted Natasha to answer for, uh, they you know, they wanted to have her um, so they could you know, try her or 
you know, do whatever to her for the crimes that she committed uh, on their soil. So it became this thing where Nick Fury, you know, being a man who has a sense of loyalty, he 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 gave her enough of a warning where she was able to, you know, escape uh, the the initial uh, team that was going to take her. And what, what she ends up doing is she ends up thinking, deciding that being in the public eye is going to be the way for her to protect herself from these secret agents until everything blows over. And at the time in the Daredevil stories, Matt Murdock was pretty heavily in the public eye because he had recently been outed as Daredevil. So everybody knew his secret identity. It was outed in the news. But on top of that, he had also taken out Wilson Fisk and t- taken over as the kingpin of Hell's Kitchen. So, like, everybody had their eyes on Matt Murdock. And the widow thought that if she was just going to hide in plain sight, like, just stand next to somebody who's super prominent, you know? Like, just go back to Matt Murdock since they were lovers anyway. And they, mm. they had, um, you know, it's a good story about what she's willing to do in order to to you know to serve her own ends but it's also a really good story uh that deals with the complicated relationship that matt and natasha have as well mm-hmm. it's bendis and Maliv. it's daredevil so you know it's good i also like the stuff where she appeared in the frank miller daredevil too so that's another uh set of issues to to look up you know she showed up towards the end of the run when Daredevil was battling the hand. I think it was the when when he was trying to find Elektra's body because the the hand was trying to resurrect her or something. But Natasha was back in his life for a few issues there. That's always good stuff when you've mm. got Frank Miller doing Daredevil. Yeah, yeah. He's the quintessential Daredevil writer, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think in terms of Natasha's appearances in Daredevil, like those are probably my two favorite ones, the Frank Miller stuff and the Bendis and Maliv story. Mm-hmm. So if you if anyone out there wants to check out stories where Black Widow is um, a supporting character in someone else's comic, that's those those Daredevil stories are definitely things to to look out for anything else for you albert um those were the main uh daredevil or i mean black widow comics that i had checked out for for the discussion um yeah i mean i i i, I could lift one of yours um but Go for it, man. I mean, you well, read them too. Yeah, Secret Avengers twenty by Warren Ellis and Alex Maleev is is another. That's probably one of the more memorable Black Widow stories. It's a single issue, uh, but it's a it's a pretty cool story from what I remember. It's it's time travel that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's yeah. just a story about um, Black Widow. It starts out with Black Widow being in this position where the entire Secret Avengers team 
seemingly gets murdered on the spot. And what ends up happening is she gets thrown back in time and she knows that she can't mess up time. You know, you know, that cliche of, uh, you know, being in the past, she can't mess up the time stream to make things, uh, to, to change things. So what mm-hmm. she does is she takes her knowledge of the events as they're going to happen. And she, she basically orchestrates uh, all of the various details so that it all happens the way that it happens the first time. Everything uh, uh, unfolds the same way. But this time she... I forget what exactly she does, but she makes it so that the weapons that the enemies are using, that wherever they get the weapons from, end up getting weapons that are duds, you know? So, um, you know, the, instead of, so in the moment when, so when she goes back in time and she relives that entire period of time all over again to the point where the, she gets back to the present, when the villains think that they've killed all the uh, secret Avengers, really what all they've done is they've just kind of knocked them out and everybody wakes up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's basically a story where she has to go back in time to prevent the future from happening. But the only way that she can change things in the past is by doing it so subtly and yeah. in secret yeah. so that, Basically, she's trying to outwit the time stream. Yeah, yeah. So that nobody realizes that anything ever changed. changed. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. It's, it's really a pretty clever, clever story. story. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely Artwork very clever. Is amazing. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I, I guess I understand if people don't want to read that comic because Warren Ellis did write it, and uh, you He's know, kind of in a in the hot seat at the moment yeah we learned a lot of things about warren ellis in this past year so yeah it's it's pretty unfortunate yeah yeah it's 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 uh sad when great talents end up not being good people yeah Um, yeah. yeah i mean if i had a sister i probably wouldn't want her to meet him yeah that's fair that's fair um did you have a chance to check out the the kelly thompson uh black widow trade paperback drew i did so i i read the the first trade paperback of the current ongoing black widow series that marvel is putting out Mm. written by kelly thompson penciled by elena casagrande i'm not too familiar with the artist's work uh this is my first time reading some of her stuff I've read Kelly Thompson? Thompson. No, the artist. Oh, okay, talking, okay. I've never, I'm not familiar with Elena Casagrande. I've read mm. a bunch of other Kelly Thompson stuff, and she's usually enjoyable. I don't, I wouldn't say she's written anything that I felt so strongly about that I had to to buy it. But I've always been, you know, entertained by her comics, and she yeah. does Cape comics as well as just about anybody else out there. Uh, yeah. So. The Kelly Thompson uh, trade paperback, the first, it's got the first five issues. Again, I'd I'd say it entertained me. I wouldn't say it's essential reading if you're a Black Widow fan, unless you just want to read what's going on now. Like if you're Mm -hmm. the kind of person that 
only wants to read uh, the latest or current comics, then yeah, I mean, this is not a bad one. Uh, but in terms of how much it personally resonated with me, I, I, I would still say the Mark Wade and Chris Samney stuff is head and shoulders above this one. Mm, and mm. It, it's not meant to, to disrespect this story. Uh, mm. I do think Elena Casagrande's art is, is pretty nice. She draws in this really clean style that I, it, it kind of feels like what's sort of becoming Marvel's house style nowadays, like that kind of clean, uh, vaguely Stuart Eminem-influenced look. Mm. I don't know, something like a, an R.B. Silva or Pepe Larraz. It's kind of along those I was going to say, I mean, you do love your Stuart Eminem, so yeah, that's I'm not a, a bad Stuart direction Eminem. to go in. If exactly. That is what they do. Exactly. You know. So the the story in this one is 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 that um <laughs> okay you know how you said Deadly Origins takes a trope that you despise and yeah. uh you know with the nanites and stuff yeah so so this one does something that I don't like <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> this one basically gives her amnesia is it vampires <laughs> <laughs> okay okay. <laughs> So she had yeah. amnesia. So, <laughs> okay. like in the first couple pages, or in the yeah, in like the first issue, she uh, it, you see an action scene where she's doing her thing, and then she uh falls, she gets struck by some tranquilizers and falls off a building, and then the next thing you see is a time skip to three months later in San Francisco, and she's completely forgotten who she is, and now she has a new life. Uh, she's <laughs> She's got a fiance, a loving fiance, and they have uh, like a toddler together, yeah. and they're just kind of living up, uh, you know, that perfect life. Uh, I think they've got a house in Sausalito, um, and she doesn't realize that she was the world's, you know, foremost or most feared secret agent. She's yeah. just living this life where she she thinks that uh, she's a normal woman uh, with a with the great family, mm-hmm. but Bucky and Hawkeye uh, have been tracking her down, yeah. and they they realize that she doesn't they, like at first they think she's just in super deep cover, but then they realize eventually that she actually forgot who she was. Mm. So they they end up teaming up with Yelena Belova, um, and uh, I don't know. Long story short. The, the people who were behind it were just a bunch of villains that Natasha had beat up in the past. And they kind oh. of formed this coalition. because it, So it was like Hush or something? <laughs> uh, not really like Hush, because it wasn't a mystery. Okay, like, okay. You see, you see everybody who's involved. And it's... Uh, let me see if I can remember. No, I see it right here. Arcade, Weeping yeah. Lion 2.0, uh, The Red Guardian, Snapdragon... Uh, yeah, like I don't even remember who Snapdragon is. I don't know who Snapdragon is either. I, I didn't even know Arcade had beef with her. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a weird thing, you know, like to think of Arcade as one of her villains because he is not a guy I can take seriously at all. Like for for those of you who aren't familiar with the supervillain Arcade, he's this old X-Men villain and his his gimmick was that he would create giant pinball machines that were really death traps of doom yeah hence the name uh, arcade like 
good games. It's like a lame Joker. <laughs> yeah, a really lame Joker. It's kind of like the old uh, 60s Batman show where mm-hmm. they would always fight on these giant typewriters or things of that nature. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But with, uh, <laughs> with arcade. It's it was, usually a you know, giant a, pinball machine or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a giant pinball machine, and they were all just death traps. It, it's it's pretty silly. Yeah. It, it doesn't really, I don't know. Like I I still definitely pr- prefer a more serious vibe when it comes to Black Widow, mm. but for something that was more on the lighthearted end of the spectrum, you know, this this still entertained me. Like I wasn't. Yeah. I wasn't pissed, or I wasn't. I didn't read it and think. Man, she doesn't get Black Widow at all, you know. Like it, it was, it was fine. Like there wasn't anything, yeah, bad about it. I'm looking at it right now. I, I also barred it on Hoopla with the intention of reading it, but I just wasn't able to get around to it. But I'm looking at it right now, and I will say that I do really like the art. Like I think yeah. it's quite, quite pretty. Her art's nice, man. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, I also think that another thing about the series, um. And it's probably just so it could uh, be more, I don't know, marketable uh, with the movie, is that it does make Yelena a more friendly and sympathetic character. Like she and and Natasha do have kind of this sisterly, sisterly. bond yeah. in this comic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say looking at the art, uh, I mean... I guess that's the direction that they're going in with with it, seeing as how they're setting it up that way. But you know what? For all we know, the movies... Okay, so... At the end of Endgame, you know, spoilers, we know that Black Widow died, and I'm pretty sure the movie is going to be a flashback, right? Yeah, I think they even said it takes place in between Civil War and Infinity War. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, so I, I guess there's, you know, if we take her death on face value, uh, this might be their backdoor way of introducing a new Black Widow, right? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I think, I, I guess safe I would probably say. say that's pretty safe to say, yeah. Yeah. They, they even announced that the actress who's playing Yelena, uh, yeah. What's her name? Florence Pugh? I don't I don't even I've never But but I think they said that she's actually um signed on to be on the Hawkeye Disney Plus TV series. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna say like there's still a chance they could make Yelena the villain or like more of the antagonist that uh she was originally gonna be. But mm-hmm. You know, thinking about it, I, I guess with Scarlett Johansson ending her tenure as Black Widow, it just kind of makes sense that they're going to yeah, have to find a way to work with that. So, yeah, turn it into a legacy character. Yeah. Or yeah. A title. Yeah. Yep. OK. The, the other Black Widow comic that I read in the past, and I, I don't remember it too well, but. I'll just give it a shout out real quick. But there was a Marjorie Liu and Daniel Acuna miniseries. Mm-hmm. I think it was a miniseries, but the the story was called The Name of the Rose. I don't remember the details too well, but I do remember thinking that was a pretty good comic. So 
check that one out too for anyone who's interested in Black Widow stuff. Mm. All right. What was the thing that you were going to say earlier, man, when you were going to talk about uh, how one of your most memorable Black Widow moments was when she was a traitor? Oh. <laughs> yeah. So for traitor! The time, for the longest time, I didn't really have... Um, I, like I meant, we mentioned, I didn't really have too much of an impression of Black Widow whatsoever. But then we... Uh, <clears throat> Okay, so spoilers, you know, for those of you who who uh, who don't want to know, uh, like I can't say what the comic is because we've already talked about what happened. But anyways, um, so in Ultimates two, they set up a storyline where, uh, again, the the team is kind of fractured at this point, and they tease the idea that someone on the team might be a traitor. And lo and behold, <laughs> lo and behold, it turns out that Black Widow is a traitor because uh, she she ends up getting into traitor. this relationship with Tony Stark, and <laughs> at one point, uh, and you know they even uh, he even proposes to her, and they're gonna get married, but then, uh, you know when 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 the Liberators finally like overthrow the team uh it's revealed that uh black widow was the traitor and Mm -hmm. she's uh she's basically hanging over a naked tony stark with a gun or something like that and you know she's uh talking to him and she goes was it really that big of a surprise that the ex uh kgb spy turned out to be the traitor (laughs) you know it was a pretty funny line but uh yeah, that's probably one of my more memorable Black Widow moments, but that's not the, definitely not the Black Widow that we we've seen in the movies or even in the mainstream Marvel six one six universe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, she in that comic she ends up killing Hawkeye's family. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I forget she didn't get Hawk- killed. She just got knocked out by Iron Man, right? Like she got knocked out by Iron Man, and then she was in hospital, and then Hawkeye kills yeah. her. <laughs> oh yeah, he comes into the hospital and he just like shoots her up with arrows, right? Yeah. Like right at the end. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that that's not gonna happen in the movie. <laughs> you know another story where she was a traitor. Which one? You ever read Neil Gaiman's 1602? Yeah, I did. It's been yeah. a while, so I don't really remember it too. Um, it's not like fresh in my memory, but so in, I, in 1602, she betrays Daredevil, and she ends up getting it on with Doctor Doom. Really? Yeah. Man. Dang, I need to reread 1602. I forgot that detail entirely. <laughs> Dang, dude. Seems wow. Like people who write alternate versions of Black Widow like to make her a traitor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there there are definitely quite a few funny, if possibly disrespectful moments in the history of Black Widow in the comics. Yeah. Like there was this other thing that happened in the Kevin Smith Daredevil run. So so uh, early on in Marvel Knights, Kevin Smith and Joe Quesada did a Daredevil story 
called Guardian Devil. I remember we we talked a little bit about it when we did our episode on uh, Spider-Man Far From Home because Mysterio was the villain in that story. Mm. But Black Widow, Natasha, does show up in this story as well. And there's a scene where Natasha and Matt have a fight on a rooftop because Matt is under the impression that a baby that that uh, she's taking care of is the Antichrist. So he's trying to take her out so he can, you know, destroy the baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But what ends up happening is they end up having this this uh, fight, Daredevil and Black Widow, and she at one point she she kicks him, and he catches her foot, and um, dude, I have the comic right here. Let me just really uh, make sure I nail it. So he he catches her foot and he says, I look back on my life and it's littered with the lies women have told me, lies that have blackened my soul. Well, it's time to deliver a lesson in truth. And truth? Well, truth is pain. And then he, he twists her ankle and then you just see her. He's like got his teeth gritted and then you see her scream in pain. And then the next thing you see, she's just on the floor. And then Daredevil picks up the baby and his inner narration. It, it's like hilariously disrespectful. He <laughs> says, Look at her already unconscious. Such a minimal pain threshold. No wonder she couldn't leave the Avengers. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a reference to uh, the late 90s when... Natasha was actually the leader of the Avengers during the Onslaught saga. So under her leadership, the team was killed. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I didn't even realize she was the leader at that in that period of time. I mean, yeah. that was a bad period of time for comics, but still. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a bad period of time for comics, but I guess in a way it was even worse for her. Yeah. <laughs> because she she survived the Onslaught battle. So if you read like the Kurt Busiek Thunderbolts Mm-hmm. She does appear in some of those issues uh, when Hawkeye is there. Or not when Hawkeye is... Well, actually, I think... It, no, Hawkeye wasn't there because I think he was he was dead at the time, too. But I remember she shows up in Thunderbolts. And, and like one of the things that, that, that we're privy to is that she's extremely guilty and insecure about what happened to the Avengers under her watch. <laughs> Man, they were rough on her. Yeah, I mean, Kevin Smith, man, he, I don't know if he was trying to be funny with that line, but <laughs> it, it definitely made me laugh. Yeah. And yeah, we already, I already mentioned earlier that the stuff in Infinity War in the comic when she and Black Cat could only guard yeah. these unconscious heroes at the hospital, but that that's another pretty disrespectful moment. Some, yeah, some of these older, um portrayals they did not age well (laughs) i mean they're funny as like as as uh relics of time as exactly as relics but (laughs) certainly not as yeah (laughs) do you remember that one really famous issue of uncanny x-men by claremont and jim lee madripoor knights the one where where uh the cover like black widow wolverine and cap yeah that's the one yeah issue 268 I never read it, but I I just recognized the cover. So 
in that comic, it's a like part of the story is a flashback, and it's it's pretty weird because even at the time, I think that comic came out in like 1990 or maybe 91. Like it, it was like either really late 80s or really early 90s. Mm-hmm. But part of the flashback in the story is that back in the 1940s, Captain America and Wolverine were on a mission together. And they ended up rescuing like a 10-year-old Natasha. Oh. Huh. Yeah. And at the end of that mission, I think for whatever reason... Uh, they just let the Soviets keep her, you know, not maybe they just uh, didn't realize that the Soviets were going to put her in the red room or whatever. Yeah. But then the present day story in that issue, uh, Natasha is investigating the hand and Baron Strucker because I guess they're forming an alliance or something, but she, she gets beat up and it's up to Wolverine, Jubilee and Psylocke to rescue her. <laughs> so it's like, She's always needing Wolverine <laughs> to rescue her. Jeez. <laughs> oh, I man. I think it's weird that she was born in the 1930s, but, you know, yeah. she's still in the prime of her life. Well, they did mention that, um, you know, they, the Red Room did use procedures and experimental chemicals to preserve her youth. Yeah. So there was a, an age repression system. But when you think about it that way, isn't it weird that this grandma is with Matt Murdock and their lovers. <laughs> well, he is blind. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> That's a good point. What does he know? <laughs> um, man, I'm looking at your notes here, man. And you also mentioned that there was a Nathan Edmondson Black Widow series. And I actually did get that series. Yeah, you found that in the quarter bin, didn't you? I did, and um, so I man, I I don't have a lot of thoughts on it because I read it and I almost immediately forgot about it. It really wasn't uh, a series that I remembered or was too interested in. And then the news came out that Nathan Edmondson was kind of a jerk to women too. Yeah. Like, so I felt more than okay not liking his comics. <laughs> <laughs> I felt no conflict there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Did you know that Gerard Jones co-created the Red Room? I did not, but that's uh, a troubling anecdote as well. Do you think in the credits for the Black Widow movie, they will give Gerard Jones an acknowledgement in the credits? I don't think that they will. Like, I, I have a feeling that they're not going to do that. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll bet a dollar on it, though. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> you never know. Like, yeah, yeah. Maybe the intern that's putting the credits together doesn't know exactly. who Gerard Jones is. Exactly. It, it might be something that someone doesn't catch. We'll We'll have to keep an eye out for that. Yeah, yeah, totally. Do you want to say anything about Gerard Jones before we move on? Ooh. <laughs> uh, ooh. Um, he liked kids a little too much. Like an unhealthy amount. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad he's doing time now. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. So did you go ahead? I was gonna just gonna move on to the next thing, but did you have anything else to to say about no, no, Natasha? No, no. I, I thought we uh, we covered it. We, we we got it. Yeah. What about uh Yelena Belova? I mean, since she's gonna be an obviously part big part of the movie. So, what yeah. about her comics appearances, man? She's someone that I haven't really like. The way that they established her originally in the comics, she was more of a villain. So she definitely doesn't really have. She definitely hasn't had her own comics um, series. So I do feel like there's even less to work with. The mm-hmm. one comic that I do remember that she was in, I'm pretty sure it was her. I want to say it was a New Avengers annual where they fight the Super Adaptoid. Yeah. But I think that Super Adaptoid was basically Elena Belova, right? Yeah. So, like, what happens yeah. in Bendis's New Avengers is that at the end of the first story arc... Uh, it's like the wedding issue, isn't it? It's the issue. It's the annual where Luke Cage and Jessica Jones get married. I think that's the issue. But but yeah. the the build up to that was from the very first New Avengers story because they huh. the team ends up going to the Savage Land if you remember that part, and Shield had a presence there. And at the time, Yelena was part of Shield, but during a fight, I think it was Sauron, the the dinosaur dude. <laughs> <laughs> you know the guy yeah the guy who he's a pterodactyl his intellect to turn people into dinosaurs rather than cure cancer <laughs> <laughs> you seen that meme really good use of his power <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's like i don't want to cure cancer i want to turn people into dinosaurs <laughs> <laughs> but he ends up i think it's him who ends up messing up yelena like she's really disfigured and and just in traction at the end of the story and then hydra uh recruited her basically and i think aim ended up doing experiments on her and they were the ones who turned her into the super adaptoid so she could get revenge on the new avengers yeah but yeah like you were saying in that annual they ended up fighting her and the way they, the, the, the super adaptoid's up. powers work is He's basically an amalgam of all of the superheroes' powers, right? Mm-hmm. So he's he's able to mimic everyone's superpower. So imagine that with Yelena Belova's brain. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But and, they they end up beating her up, and as a result, Hydra activates her self destruct, and they kill her. And but then she got better. She she stayed dead forever. <laughs> Actually, did you know uh, Natasha died in? I think it was in Secret Empire. Yeah, I I believe so because I did get a couple of issues of this other Black Widow miniseries that came out. I think it was by Jody Hauser. Oh yeah, yeah. And in it, Black Widow was a clone. Yeah. So Comics, everybody. Yeah, I didn't read any more of it after I found that out. I, like, I think I read, like, a couple of issues just to see, like, what my thoughts on it were. But I was just like, uh, this isn't very good, and she's a clone. So that's, like, two two strikes right there. Two strikes too many. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't have a three-strike rule. You have a two-strikes rule. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> two strikes and you're out. 
I, I, yeah, I watch, that's why I can't watch baseball. It's too long for me. <laughs> <laughs> there is one Yelena Belova series, mini series that I did read. Uh, I have it with me. It's actually a Marvel Max miniseries. So this is like we were talking about Richard K. Morgan's story being pretty heavy, but uh, you know, and even that one I would say is not for little kids, but this Max series is adults only because it, it's got, you know, it's got more uh, heavy language. It's got the F word and stuff. And there's a lot of weird sex stuff. Like how half of the, maybe even like 75% of this comic takes place in a weird bondage sex club. And it's about Yelena Belova investigating the death of one of her trainers because apparently uh, what she's told by her handler in the military is, is that her trainer that basically raised her and helped her uh, become the agent that she is. Apparently all this time he had uh, a physical or a sexual attraction to her <laughs> and <laughs> being uh, a professional, he didn't want to act on it. So he never actually, you know, did anything with her. So what he did do was go to these weird bondage sex clubs in, in Moscow and find women that looked like her. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> and he ended up getting killed <laughs> by somebody. <laughs> so Ugh. she's investigating this whole thing. Oof. It's it's definitely not for kids. That is salacious. Yeah, it's Was that a Max series? It's a Max series. Uh Greg Rucka and Igor Cordy. Like the art's really well done, man. I would oh. I would say if if you want to check out just a it's only three issues so it's short, but it's it's worth reading, man. Like I I'd, I'd say it's a a good Black Widow comic. But Oh, definitely okay. not for kids. Yeah. I didn't realize that Rucka wrote that. Yeah. Or I didn't realize that that's what the the story that Rucka wrote was about. <laughs> that's. I wonder, uh, I wonder how uh, how much research he did for it. <laughs> uh, you know what? He seems like the kind of writer who uh, immerses himself in his subject matter. So I, it wouldn't surprise me if he uh, if he was dedicated to to learning enough to feel credible. Yeah. <laughs> what about Red Guardian, man? He's a, he's another character that we see in the trailers. Red Guardian. Yeah. What can you tell us about Red Guardian? Um. Yeah, basically, as far as I understand, he was supposed to be the Soviet version of Captain America. He was just a a Soviet super soldier, right? Mm-hmm. Um. I don't even know what his power sets are. I have never seen him in a comic where he left a impression on me. Um, well, not a huge impression anyways. The the one thing, the one time I ever remembered him was from Ultimate Nightmare. Um, and in that story, he ended up being a crazy dude <laughs> uh who'd just been living in this like pit and the the one thing that jumped out at me was he 
instead of having a shield like Captain America, his shield was made of like biomatter, or it was made from no, like okay. it was made from you human remains. This. It was made from human remains, exactly. Yeah. But for whatever reason, the 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 shield like grafted itself onto his arm, so it was like growing out of his. It was either like growing out of his body or like connected to his body tissue somehow, you know. It it was pretty disgusting. Yeah, because at one point they hit it and it just you know it does what flesh does does when it gets hit really hard. It just kind of explodes and you see like bits of viscera everywhere. Yeah. But you also see like these like tubes coming out of his arm to indicate that they were like grafted to each other or something yeah yeah so crazy in that one yeah so that's the only (laughs) comic book memory i have of red guard (laughs) guardian what about you i think my big memory of red guardian was from the brubaker captain america run in the very first issue the very first page maybe two pages of the story he's basically on his knees in front of the Red Skull and this other guy who would end up being one of the main antagonists of the run, Alexander Lucan. So Red Guardian is on his knees. I guess he got caught by the bad guys and they execute him. <laughs> like it's just, you know, they just cap him. It's totally cold and brutal. And that yeah. was that was my uh, lasting exposure to the Red Guardian. <laughs> I mean, there have been a ton of different Red Guardians, from what I know. Like, uh, Marvel's or the Russia's version of the Avengers in the comics is called the Winter Guard, and they always have all these uh, people playing the role of the Red Guardian. Yeah. So he's, like you said, he's supposed to be just this Soviet Captain America or Russian Captain America uh, equivalent. But the Winter Guard, it always just feels like they're a bunch of jobbers. Like, you never really see them do anything good. Yeah. I was going to say, like, (laughs) that scene that you described where he gets killed. Like, I feel, and comics does this every so often, where, you you know, they, they have to show that the villains are capable of getting a win. So... You know, they'll give them someone like Red Guard, Red Guardian, and be like, yeah. see, these guys are able to kill heroes. They're able to succeed every so once in a while. Yeah. They killed that one guy. <laughs> exactly. The <laughs> <laughs> uh, so other big uh, comics character that uh, is going to be introduced in the Black Widow movie is Taskmaster. What are your thoughts on him? Or did you have any more to say on Red Guardian? I didn't have any more to say on Red Guardian. I was just about to mention Taskmaster myself. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, like, I, the main thing that I always remember about him is that I want to say he was created by George Perez, if not co-created. Is that right? Uh, keep talking. I'll look it up. Yeah, because the thing that I remember was that the people that created him eventually went over to DC and created Deathstroke and Deathstroke was supposed to be a a ripoff of Taskmaster I think if it's if it's not that it might be the other way around um and they have I want to say they have like 
similar power sets. I remember their their boots were always similar. Yeah. The way that uh, George Perez drew the their boots, like they kind of yeah. looked like pirate boots or something. Yeah, 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 exactly. So that like you know if I don't I don't I'm not sure if I'm right on on the on whether George Perez did in fact create them both but so George Perez did co-create Taskmaster it was David Michelinie and George Perez okay yeah and then when he went over to Titans he he created Deathstroke too I think I believe and, so yeah with Marv Wolfman that sounds yeah, right yeah yeah so a lot of people always kind of associated Taskmaster with Deathstroke. Uh, Their color schemes or, are kind of similar too. Exactly, exactly. Which is pretty interesting. You don't see a lot of supervillains rocking orange. Yeah, yeah. I always thought that was interesting. Um. Yeah, he's just a guy who, as far as I know, his his whole shtick was that he one he has a photographic memory so basically any fighting move that he's ever seen he's able to replicate or duplicate yeah i don't know which is the right word i'm assuming it's duplicate and in addition to that his whole thing when i was growing up was that he basically ran a mercenary school where he would train other villains to fight uh to yeah uh, he would train other villains to fight superheroes does yeah. does that sound familiar to you at all? Yeah, yeah, and he would train henchmen. Yeah, so all yeah, those yeah. guys you see uh, fighting for Hydra or or AIM or what have you. Yeah. They were trained by a lot of them were probably trained by Taskmaster. Oh, he needed to do a better job then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why people still keep on hiring him I to train their henchmen. <laughs> like, yeah, right. oh, what's his track record of success, man? <laughs> it's like it's got to be zero at this point. <laughs> <laughs> The uh, other funny uh, thing about Taskmaster is his real name, Tony Masters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> Do you have any comics that uh, come to mind when you think of Taskmaster comics? So here's the thing with Taskmaster. The original design of the character it was memorable like don't get me wrong i always thought it was memorable it i don't think i would say it was my favorite like i never necessarily thought he looked cool but it was memorable because he had that white blue and orange color scheme and his yeah. mask was a, a skull or yeah yeah his face looked like a skull but i don't think that look completely ever appealed to me on but it was it wasn't until yeah like the i think the late 90s or early 2000s when gail simone was writing deadpool which ended up becoming agent x and taskmaster was actually a part of that uh cast so he he had a totally different costume in that one that was designed by studio udon mm-hmm I that really was a like, cool costume. Yeah, I really like that costume. Yeah. It's I, I a think shame Udon that... even did a miniseries that introduced that costume. Yeah. I, I read it. it was I like don't think I own it anymore. It was like four yeah. issues. Yeah. Yeah. 
but it, it's it looks a lot cooler in my opinion it, it's basically yeah. just a kind of a blue and black bodysuit and With a instead hood. of a, a skull a, a rubber rubber looking skull mask it kind of looks like a like a hockey mask that looks like a skull and he's got uh glowing eyes and a hood it yeah it's, it's just something more modern less pirate looking yeah and i'll i'll say it but his old costume was pretty busy i felt like there was, was a George lot going on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so like he had a hood he had a cape he had a sword he had a shield he had the pirate boots you know it almost felt like he was over encumbered when i was looking at him you know yeah yeah that's a good point yeah I do like what Gail Simone did with him. He was he wasn't the main character of Agent X, but he was a pretty decent uh member of the cast. Mm. Uh I, I think I I don't know if it's something where I would say if you're a, a Taskmaster fan, you got to track down the Agent X run. Um I mean, I would just recommend reading that run if you just enjoy superhero comics in general i don't know if it really has anything special to say about the character or concept of taskmaster other than he's fun and has a cool costume in that series but he she did give him more character than we typically see because it it feels like most of the time when we see taskmaster show up he's kind of a jobber villain yeah he's he's the mercenary supervillain who shows up to fight the guys who can't credibly beat the wrecking crew, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like if, if, if Daredevil can't beat the wrecking crew by himself, let's have him beat up Taskmaster. <laughs> That's more reasonable. <laughs> uh, yeah. I did have one moment for Taskmaster that always jumps out at me, which is in Charlie Houston's Moon Knight. Um, so in that story, uh, Moon Knight basically comes out of retirement, if you really want to call it that. But mm-hmm. really what, what he's been doing is he's just been crazy for the past you know X amount of years and just wandering the streets as a homeless person. <laughs> and, uh, and in the comic, he decides, yeah, he gets back into to, to being Moon Knight. But Charlie Houston... Uh, introduces Taskmaster as his big villain in that first arc. And, um, you know, Taskmaster does a job of just handing Moon Knight his butt at first. But then when Moon Knight goes, like, next level crazy, he, uh, (laughs) you know, he basically gets to a point where he overpowers Taskmaster and... He takes one of his uh, moon-shaped, his crescent-shaped, like, shuriken, and he basically peels off uh, a Taskmaster's face mask uh, because the thing that, it's revealed that the thing that set him off the first time that drove him crazy, and spoilers, is that he fought his greatest villain, and in a moment of desperation, he took one of his shuriken and he peeled that guy's face off. <laughs> <laughs> but 
after he does that to Taskmaster, Taskmaster is like just so devastated that that just ends the fight right there. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't want none of that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he, he thought he was fighting a superhero. He didn't think he was fighting a crazy homeless guy. Yeah, well, more than that, he thought he was fighting a jobber. Taskmaster yeah. thought he was fighting a jobber. Yeah. Because he think... didn't take Moon Knight seriously at all. Yeah, not at all. Do you think Moon Knight could have beaten up the Wrecking Crew? Uh... I'm going to say probably not. Yeah. Although, yeah. I will say this. I did read Jeff Lemire's X-Men recently. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And in one of the later issues, uh, they reveal that Apocalypse is still alive, and he has four horsemen of his own. New, he has a new set of four horsemen. And it's the and Wrecking Mo Crew? <laughs> no. And Moon Knight is one of the four horsemen. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Uh, yeah. Dude, it'd be funny if the Wrecking Crew were Apocalypse's yeah. horsemen. That would be... I kind of want to see that, if I had to be perfectly honest. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I'd be down for that. There was also a, a scene, I remember a fight scene from the the recent Ta-Nehisi Coates Captain America run. It was uh -huh. during the, the Lionel Francis U arc, uh, and... Cap ended up fighting Taskmaster in that. That was that was a pretty fun battle. It's a, again one of those things where Taskmaster, for all his vaunted powers of photographic reflexes, at the end of the day, he still can't beat Captain America. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's kind of harsh, but he he just doesn't seem to get a whole lot of wins. Yeah. Well, where does he rank in terms of like like? Well, I don't know if you can give an actual ranking, but do you have affection or love for Taskmaster as a villain? I actually do have affection for him, and it's it's mostly thanks to the Gail Simone stuff, because when he was oh. in Agent X, he he did have a fun personality, you know, like he wasn't he was kind of a jerk to the main character, but he wasn't he wasn't like uh completely malicious you know like he was he's one of those charming jerks that you enjoy reading about and maybe you could even be friends with but at the end of the day you're still probably better off not knowing him <laughs> oh. but he he had he had his uh good qualities too like he actually cared about uh his friends and stuff um yeah he had he had a love interest in agent x Okay. But I, I think as a concept, I, I did enjoy Taskmaster. I just wish that they would change his costume because even after they, Udon gave him that redesign, they all they still ended up going back to his old look, and I don't really like that old look. Yeah, agreed, agreed. I, I like, enjoy his powers and the concept. They even used him like, in Avengers The Initiative. Do you remember that one? Like right after Civil War, when Tony Stark was running S.H.I.E.L.D., they tried to... Yeah create this initiative where every state had a superhero team and taskmaster was yeah yeah one of the trainers at the superhero training school yeah 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 um i didn't read it but i yeah i vaguely remember that he was 
Yeah, he was recruited to basically train the new new set of uh, initiative superheroes that were going to be in their 50-state mm-hmm. superhero army. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, you're right. After, that Udon costume was super short-lived, and then right after that, they just went back to his normal look, which... Which which is a little weird because, you know, they've gone around and changed everybody, all the other supervillains and superheroes look so many times, yet they've kept him, for the most part, the same. Yeah. And it's a oh. really old-fashioned look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, even Bullseye has had, like, a couple of changes. Mm-hmm. Like, and that guy's original costume was classic. You can't really beat that. Yeah. You really um, can't. But what do you think of the Taskmaster costume in the movie from what we've seen of it? I actually like it a lot. Yeah. It kind of looks like a Super Sentai costume, you know, like a Power Rangers yeah, yeah, costume yeah, yeah, or yeah. something. And they even give the uh, his helmet that skull mask looking thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's a it's a good look. It's definitely better than how he looks in the comics now. For sure, for sure. Yeah. So even if we don't ever get the Udon one, if they made the comic one look more like that, I I'd be okay with it. Yeah, that would be that would be a win. Yeah, for sure. Definite move in the right direction. He's a character who hasn't really had his own starring or feature role, but he did have a four issue miniseries maybe about ten years ago that. If I don't know if the movie will dive too deeply into his backstory or anything, but if they do, it kind of feels like the Fred Van Lent and Hefte Paolo miniseries will probably be the biggest influence because that that's the one that's usually cited as the high point for the character. Really, Fred Van Lent. Yeah, yeah. I know you you don't think highly of him at all. Heck, I don't think too highly of him. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you read that one? I actually never read it, but... It might be but, the uh, greatest thing that Fred Vinland has very well ever could done. Be. Yeah, I oh, mean, I might, maybe I'll see if the library has it or something. Uh, I'm willing to give it a chance. I'm just not willing to pay any money for it. But uh, yeah. I, I did read what other people wrote about the series, and... From what I remember, the idea uh, be- that was introduced in that story was that Taskmaster, every time he uses his power uh, of photographic reflexes to to learn and memorize other people's moves and abilities, he ends up destroying a part of his long-term memory. Yeesh. So by the time we get to him in the story, you know, he's... A veteran at what he's doing so he actually set up uh i guess not not an organization exactly but he's got like a i forget if she's like a secretary or something but he has like people that work for him whose job it is to keep track of his memories for him so that he can continue honing his fighting skills without completely forgetting everything about himself dang yeah so it's like the use of his power has a cost and the hook at the end or the twist is at the end is that the woman 
who's been helping him hold on to his memories was actually his his wife, but he forgot and he doesn't know that anymore. Whoa. Yeah. That's a uh, that's a pretty interesting twist. I mean, I yeah. still think Fred Van Lent is awful, but <laughs> <laughs> man, you don't want to give him any credit. <laughs> I love it, man. But <laughs> I mean, it's a clever twist. I'll give him that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Uh, but I'm Do you think also Taskmaster ruined it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you think Taskmaster will survive the movie? Like, will we see him in a future installment of the MCU? Uh, I'm going to go with yes. You know what? I'm going to go with yes. Um, He's a character that has, um, you know, repeat value. So, yeah, I, if... You know, they can't keep killing off all their villains, right? So eventually mm-hmm. we're going to... They're going to have to get smart about it and find a way to be able to use who they can use. So... And it's not like uh, all the villains that they created have have died in every movie. We've got a bunch of them that ended up being... Uh, I mean, just being defeated. Yeah, like, or imprisoned. Think, yeah. Honestly, like, the ghost didn't die in, in Ant-Man right. 2, right? She's, she's yeah. still alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and uh, in the Shang-Chi trailer, we saw what might be the abomination. So, yep. he's he, he's clearly been alive for a long time. So, mm-hmm. there we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, actually, before we uh, wrap, out, wrap things up and get out of here, I was going to ask you if you had any other thoughts or fanciful speculation or predictions about the black widow movie uh i think the main you you already said that you bet a dollar that gerard jones will not be mentioned in the credits (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's that Um, taskmaster will survive you predict yeah i mean i think the, the, the other one that i mentioned earlier was that Basically, this we're setting ourselves up for Yelena Belova to be the next Black Widow. Mm. So, I'm sure it ends on some sort of note where, you know, uh, if I had to guess, there's probably going to be some sort of flash forward to the present day where, uh, you know, we acknowledge the the death of. uh, of the of Natalia, and uh, and we're probably gonna see Elena there uh, in mourning or something, and mm-hmm. you know it just kind of not fades, but like we're gonna see it's yeah you're gonna get that end note where she she's probably gonna pick up the mantle or move forward with the Black Widow mantle or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't honestly say that I've gotten anything from the trailer uh, that indicates what the actual story of the movie is going to be about. Like, do, do, have you got like have you gotten anything? I think the vibe I got is that it's a story about Natasha trying to stop 
a new Black Widow program, like a new Red Room, uh, basically, because it sounds oh. it seems like Taskmaster is training the Black Widows in the red in the new Red Room. Okay. So it feels like Natasha uh, teams up with Yelena, Red Guardian, and uh, I forget the other character's name, but she, I think in in the comics she's the Iron Maiden. Like she was mm-hmm. another like forgettable character. That they yeah. that they uh, gave a big part to in, in a movie. Yeah. So it seems like the four of them will team up to to stop this new Black Widow program. Yeah. That, that's what I'm. Okay. Assuming it's about. Okay. Do you think that the what you described in terms of uh, a flash forward um, to the uh, aftermath of Endgame? Do you think that'll be the post credit scene? Uh, I mean, now that you mention it, that makes sense as the post-credit scene. So if I had to guess, I'd probably say that that's yeah, that would be the post-credit scene. Yeah, I think initially I mentioned it as just you know the ending, but yeah, the the more I think about it, the more it probably makes sense, uh, more sense as a post-credit scene. Mhm. Yeah. Do you think the movie will have the Monica Chang Black Widow, the Asian Black Widow? I didn't even know there was an Asian Black Widow. <laughs> Dude, remember uh Mark Miller's Ultimate Avengers? Do you remember? She was Nick Fury's wife oh, or ex-wife? Yeah, 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 yeah. You're yeah. right. You're yeah. right. Okay. I uh Dang, I did forget about that. Um, Dude, I hope I hope they have her in the movie, man. You gotta <laughs> so have we get one Asian in it. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta get one. Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, okay, okay. Here's hoping, man. Yeah. I I hope we see that too. Do you think the Contessa is gonna show up? Is she gonna recruit Taskmaster or anyone else <laughs> into the Thunderbolts? <laughs> Uh, is that where we're going with this? Are we are we setting up the Thunderbolts? Is is, is that your pr- prediction? I don't know if I was gonna predict it, but since you asked me, yeah, sure, that's my prediction. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How about this? Do you think Mephisto will show up at the end and try to barter for her soul? <laughs> <laughs> it was Agatha all along, Albert. <laughs> <laughs> man all right i think that is it for our discussion on black widow yeah any final statements albert yeah uh if anyone wants to share with us their uh thoughts on black widow or if they have questions yeah you know or uh any predictions for the movies yeah, shoot us a DM or uh, yeah, DM us on uh, Instagram or Twitter. Send us an email. Uh, or yeah, or on our Twitter. Send us an email to uh, between the gutters podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you guys. Also, want to give a shout out to Vertigo Voices. We appreciate that you listened to our Sweet Tooth episode. Just found out about uh, what you had to say. We we got much love for you guys too. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. This is Between the Gutters, signing off. Peace out. Peace, guys.
what you got, Drew. Here's a question for you, Albert. If you were in a coma in the hospital, who would you want to guard your body? Oh, man. Uh, are we talking about a world where we're, we're, where we live with, like, galactic-level threats? Yeah, let's just say you live in the Marvel or DC universe. So, yeah, whatever people deal with in those universes is what you got to deal with when you're unconscious in a hospital. Oh, man, who's... So I've, I've got to figure out who the best bodyguard is. Uh, it doesn't have to be the best bodyguard. It could be anyone you want. It could be D-Man. <laughs> it would not be D-Man. I'll tell you that much. Uh, <laughs> it could be a dog. Lockjaw. Uh, dude. I'm, dr- I'm trying to figure out what my priorities are under the, <laughs> the circumstances. I guess it would have to be safety, but... Uh, yeah. Well, is your priority your own personal safety, or is your priority the safety of the planet? Meaning, it's definitely my own who is... personal safety. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so so you, you wouldn't care if, like, the Silver Surfer had to take himself out of the battle against Thanos just so we could guard your unconscious body? <laughs> yeah. Okay. What's more important to me than me? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Um, I was going to go with, yeah, I was actually, on that note, I was going to go with Green Lantern, because oh, I imagine he could make me whatever I wanted. He could put me in a in a bubble or, a, a, you know, or, yeah, he, he could give me all of the creature comfort, comforts that I would want, so. You're unconscious. You How would you feel the comforts anyway? Doesn't matter. I still want them. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter whether I'm conscious or not. Uh, I want what's coming to me, man. <laughs> so, so you would have him, like, build you a mansion that you could just sleep Heck in? Yeah. I, I don't even need to be... I don't even need to be fully cognizant or aware to, like, appreciate it. I would just... I'm, like, somewhere out there, I would be happy knowing that my body is living in the lap of luxury. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> That's a great answer. I like it. I like it, man. Uh, thank you. Thank you. You want to know who I would pick? Yes, please. Tell me. Tell me. What you got? Well, if you had to guess who I would guess, who would you guess? Uh, uh, Kitty Pride? No. Why would no. you guess her? I I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Just because I like her? Yeah. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> That's all I had. I was like, well, this would be your chance to meet her, so why not? <laughs> yeah, I'd be unconscious. <laughs> what? She could. It could be a, a an instance of uh, that nightingale disorder or whatever. <laughs> Where, you know, she she nurses you back to health and falls in love with you. What's the big deal? <laughs> no, the character I would pick would be Jane Foster. Jane Why Foster is as Thor. Okay. 
See, because so she's a doctor, right? She's a medical yeah. doctor, so I would be in good hands from a medical standpoint. Okay. And okay. she's also Thor, so she could protect me if Thanos comes knocking. Okay, okay, okay. No, I respect that. And she's she ain't like no scrub either. She's she's a A list level uh, superhero, so for sure. Yeah, man. I thought of it. I thought of everything. You did. But I, that was... I didn't think of living in the lap of luxury like you do with, with Green Lantern. <laughs> Wait, which which Green Lantern would you want though? I was I was thinking Kyle Rayner. Okay, okay. That, yeah, that's that's, what I would that was what I imagined. Yeah. It wasn't gonna be uh like Jessica Cruz or somebody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> or or Gnort. <laughs> or Mogo. <laughs> oh, dude, Mogo would be great. Mogo would be you crazy. Would be extremely safe. You would crush me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I imagine that you would just be in a hospital on Mogo. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure if he came too close to Earth, the gravitational forces would tear our planet apart. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, you'd be extremely safe with with Mogo. It'd be like that scene from Guardians of the Galaxy where uh, Drax finds out that Peter Quill's dad was a living planet. (laughs) And he's just like, how did he mate with your mother? (laughs) He's huge. He's massive. He would crush her. (laughs) 